I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Jeff Harner joins me now. The acclaimed, award-winning New York cabaret concert and recording artist has a new album out in a couple of weeks. I know things now, my life in Sondheim's words. It's a marvelous collection of the music and lyrics of Stephen Sondheim as performed by Mr. Harner, who finds in a tapestry of 25 disparate songs in the uh, Sondheim canon meaning and understanding about his life. I'll ask Jeff about the genius of Sondheim's music and lyrics, lyrics especially, which after uh, so long as a performer finally gave him the story of his own life. The songs are performed in pairings or groupings from different shows and eras of Sondheim's musicals, and they all speak universally, as well as more importantly, specifically to Jeff's outlook on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. This all began as a one-man stage show that he performed, which was directed by uh, the legendary actor and teacher Sandra Lee. This new album expands and preserves a show that Sondheim not only saw, but endorsed and encouraged. The arrangements on the album are by Jeff Harner and John Weber, who also did the orchestrations. There's a big 20-piece orchestra, and it's uh, lush and rich, accompanying Mr. Harner so beautifully. The album is from PS Classics, which uh, releases the album the 17th of June. Visit jeffharner.com for more information, as there will be various tour dates in the United States in June and beyond. And uh, psclassics.com is the website for more information on the album, like how to get it. Jeff Harner was described by the New York Times as, quote, the most important cabaret performer to emerge since Michael Feinstein. He has won many awards, like the Mac Award from the Manhattan Association of Cabaret, uh, I counted at least seven, as well as multiple Broadway uh, World Cabaret Awards and the Bistro Awards several times over. He joined me from New York City last week. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Jeff Harner. Mr. Harner, good morning. Hi there. Please call me Jeff. I will, um, Jeff. It's it's such a great album. Um, there's such a joy that one hears in your voice as as one listens to the album. I mean, is that is that a, much of a stretch on my part to, to say that this is something that you enjoy doing? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. This is pretty much every planet in my solar system aligning for something extraordinary happening in my life, and I. I knew it every moment of the way with every with every creative person that came on board, and it, it just was as joyful as as it as it gets. So I read in the in the uh, liner notes that, that you were in your fifties uh, when you um, first uh, touched Sondheim's music. What took you so long? Well, I really was intimidated by the you know I I, I was here in New York when a lot of his shows opened. And so I saw the original Broadway cast and revivals, and I just thought his music belonged with those kind of singers in that kind of setting. It really wasn't until I heard Steve Ross do his mm. version of Sondheim that I that it really hit me that that these songs could sound so personal outside the context of the musicals on the shoulders of a contemporary 21st century man. In fact, I really thought that the songs reinvented Steve Ross for me. I thought of him sort of as a uh, rarefied, you know, singing music of the golden age of the songbook. Sure. But he, it really transformed him. And that's the first inclination that I thought maybe Stephen Sondheim's lyrics could do that for me. But it, it was K.T. Sullivan who really gave me the courage to um, get up on stage and sing his material. 
who knew that on our second performance, Mr. Sondheim would come? Mm. <laughs> Talk about terrifying. Yeah, oh I'll God. bet. I'll bet. Yeah. What? Oh, uh, but, but, but you did. Talk, you, he did. What did he? What did he say to you afterwards? Or, or I mean, you guys exchanged emails or letters. I understand. Yes, he was very kind. I mean, I, uh, he, you know, the, he was very kind about setting up his tickets. Mm-hmm. He said he wanted to come slip into the room at the last possible minute, minute otherwise people would watch him watch the sure. show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he said you can absolutely come up after the show and um, you know visit, which we did. And uh, it, it was just so terrifying and thrilling. And what I remember most vividly, uh, beside him graciously posing for a picture with us, is that he said to John Weber, um, the, my brilliant music director and collaborator on this project, he said, I loved the changes. I wish there were more. Mm. And he, and he, he patted his uh, fist on his, his chest, uh, his heart. And, uh, I mean, everything that I'd ever heard about Stephen Sondheim yeah. <laughs> melted away, um, in that moment because I, I know how wildly protective he is of every choice he makes, uh, both with lyrics and music. And what we did was such a reimagining, and he seemed to really enjoy it. And and you mentioned the orchestra uh-huh. um, uh, before we began, and uh, I I think John really took what Mr. Sondheim said to heart, and um, that's the explosion that you hear with that his orchestrations, which I think are are just brilliant. Yeah, at the heart of this album is, um, you know, the, the music's lovely, obviously. Uh, the music's uh, brilliant. Um, um, and and uh, the beautiful melodies, and it's it's challenging as, as a performer or as a, a musician, I'm sure. But but the, at the heart of it are the lyrics, because I think that's what all listen, or mo- most listeners, I guess, um, engage with, because they, they say something, they speak to them, um, they speak for them sometimes. Um, but but the the marriage that that uh, John Weber has done with with uh, your performance and the orchestra is just is wonderful. I mean, the last track of the album, "Being Alive," it, it literally comes alive with with just how lush that orchestra sounds. Mm, that's wonderful to hear. And then when you so what is it like to, to to stand there in the booth and have that behind you, if you will? I guess it's in front of you, but but I mean, <laughs> you're you're they're in the room together, putting this all together, if you will. Um, that must be exciting to hear all this. It, it was very exciting. It, it actually happens in a slightly different process because of the way I like to work, which is to layer in the orchestra. Oh, I see. I actually yeah. recorded most of the album with just piano-based drum on the first two days, and then the, the rest of the musicians came in and added on. And what's fabulous about that is it's like a, a painting. Um, mm. I, you know, I, it, I, John and I had been performing the show, just the two of us, so already to add bass and drum was a thrill. And then the day that the strings came in and we had the ten violin players was just breathtaking. And I did get to pop into the studio, into the studio with them and sing a little bit. Um, and then we had the day with the horns. And it, it just, uh, you know, I had no idea really what was inside of John's head as far as how he heard these orchestrations. Yeah. So it was just so much fun. It was all like very naked gun kind of, uh, you know, Peter Gunn 
uh, kind of uh, jazzy. I, I love Stephen Holden's liner note where he calls them naughty jazz yeah, yeah. orchestrations. They really are. They're they're just edible. I, I can't imagine just how thrilling it is to to because you were there for one part of it, and then when when it all comes together and to listen to it again and again as as, as one does. I mean, for you as as part of it. I mean, it must come alive every time you hear this this album. Does it? It 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 does. It's an extraordinary thing. One of the great joys of being a solo. I guess I'm going to call myself a cabaret singer, a nightclub singer, um, is that, you know, we, we start with the words, mm-hmm. and we think of what it is that we're trying to say, and then we imagine, because it's not a play, it's not a musical, I'm imagining where I am, how old I am, what's, what time of day is it, what's just happened, and I take all that to John, I tell him the textures that I'm feeling, and he gives life to that through his jazz vocabulary, and then to take it this next, well, and then Sandra Lee comes in, our, our wonderful director, to help us shape it. Mm-hmm. But to take it to this next level where there are these other musicians adding to it, it it's really extraordinary because it's one thing to be cast in a, in a musical and have them give you a song and tell you what key it's in and, <laughs> and, and an orchestra to just orchestrate it for the purpose of the musical, but it's quite an extraordinary thing when the piece is your own creation, your own kind of, um, you know, this, this, you can't ask me which are my favorite songs mm-hmm. because they're all my, they're only there because they are my favorite songs. Um, you can't ask me what's my favorite moment because I love every, every moment yeah. of the journey. So it, it, it's a very rarefied, lovely place to be in. And that's, I think, the joy that you were hearing is just to, to have, uh, kind of this supernova happened with um, a dream that I had, and it's it's so clever it's the the marriage of of, of some of these songs because you have early uh, early is not the right word but you have um, say older Sondheim songs with with um, say say newer ones like um, um, you know the things from Dick Tracy that you marry with Company um, and um, Into the Woods with Sweeney Todd. Um, did you come up with those pairings, say, or, or those those marriages, if you will, or, or was that? Uh, yes, you did. That's, yeah. um, my homework was to figure out what 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 scenes I wanted to conjure, what what emotions I wanted to try to convey, um, you know, what episodes in my life. It, it really is kind of a musical self portrait. Mm-hmm. So I thought of different relationships that I've been in, how it felt to yearn and pine, how it felt. Um, to have something dissolve, uh, what it felt like to have an unrequited yearning, um, and uh, and I've totally forgotten the question. But yeah, <laughs> but, but yes, yeah. I did all the cut and pasting, and then I take it to John. And and Sandra was a wonderful editor um, because my yellow legal pad can get overstuffed, <laughs> and she yeah. she's uh, constantly there saying the audience is smarter than that. Cut, cut, cut. some of the songs you know you wouldn't think of them um i mean they're they're all from from sondheim's genius obviously but they they they, um they come together so well um some of them speak to one another don't they i think so they or or i wouldn't have put them together they they do inform um they inform each other to me or they contextualize the other to me 
um, uh, certainly with something like getting married today, I wanted to make that a monologue, which meant I had to somehow conjure all the colors that happen, um, you know, the way he's arranged it for multiple voices. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of fun to cut and paste some different musicals to make this the narrative I needed. And then the... the um... Uh, Live Alone and Like It, which is from, from uh, Dick Tracy, and then you, you put that together with You Could Drive a Person Crazy from Company. Um, it, it, it's just a genius piece. Um, I, 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 can, <laughs> I, I can just imagine how great it would look on stage, you know, with the, with the cell phone and the texting that you, that you do. I think it would be fun, you know? It's, um, it's very fun, and uh, it always surprises the audience. And it was very fun to translate it to uh, to the audio because on stage I don't have the luxury of hearing the clicks oh, yeah, of yeah. the te- of the texting and the the boop of the <laughs> messages <laughs> yeah, sending. Yeah. And I Bart McGall, our our uh, engineer producer, just did such a beautiful job making that story so vivid orally. Yeah, the the um, I I I play I I, I the, they sent me the uh, the clips from the the they sent me the album on my phone, and so I was listening to it on my phone, and I, I put my phone down, and I thought my phone was ringing. I'm so bored. That's great. Um, the the you mentioned Sandra Lee, and um, the work um, that you did together in terms of directing the stage version. Um, you said something earlier alluding to that um, a cabaret show is not a, a play and it's not a musical, but the, the um, there is direction involved, isn't there, for, for you as a performer? Because um, every night you're, you're doing more than singing, aren't you? I think so. Um, that's certainly how I approach it. It's incredibly purposeful. You know, one of the things that um, someone told me as great life, advice was before I speak to think, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said right now? And I think when I'm on stage performing, the answer to every song has to be yes. This needs to be said. It needs to be said by me, and it needs to be said right now. So I need a third eye to help me create the stakes and the drama and um, the narrative. So Yes, on the one hand, you could come and, and have your supper and watch the show and think, oh, this is a nice set of songs. But for me, living it, um, it's very much a journey, and it very much has a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, I'm hoping people catch how, what happens at the beginning and how it changes at the end. Um, and that's, yeah, it, she's... Uh, I, my training was in theater, and mm-hmm. so to have a director, especially one of her caliber, I, who would have ever thought? I, I would never. I mean, I used to watch Peter Pan every year when it was on. I never thought the Tiger Lily would be directing my show. <laughs> you know, and she's 91. Yeah. She, yeah. she is my pacer bunny. I mean, she's tireless. I don't. I, uh, she is um, really a one of a kind. Um, uh, Stephen Holden uh, writes in the liner notes that, that um, he alludes to the fact that you're um, a mature singer on this album, that, um, uh, that, that there is a much reflection that goes on in the uh, uh, songs that, that you perform. Did, did you feel that it sounds like that, and, and, and did you set out to make an album that reflects that, say? 
Uh, actually, yes, uh, because my last album with PS Classics 17 years ago was called Dancing in the Dark, and I was in my 40s. And now I'm in my 60s, and this album is called I Know Things Now. Mm. And I believe that I could never have recorded this album at any other point in my life. Um, it is it is from a vantage point of looking back at mistakes that I've made, um, at things that I've learned, and uh, evolution, I hope. So, yes, it uh, definitely was intended to be um, a statement that I'm making right now at the age of 62. And it, it's an album that, that listening to it, um, 30 years ago, a, a label might have uh, told the performer to, to say, change the pronouns. Like, if, if you're a guy, mm. you're going to sing to a girl rather than whatever Sondheim wrote. Um, it, I think of the, the, the duet, the marvelous duet with you and K.T. Sullivan, Every Day a Little Death, where you're both singing about a guy. And, and um, that probably would not have happened, say, 30 years ago, right? If it did happen, I wouldn't have been the singer doing it. I would have been too terrified of that. Um, that's another gift that KT gave me when when we started singing Sondheim together in 2014. Um, I told her, as terrified as I was of, of, of singing Sondheim, though I love her, I'm not in love with her, so the songs that I want to sing, if I'm going to do this, I want to be as authentic as I can be, and that means singing uh, the correct pronouns, and it also, the, the exciting part was that then opened up a whole catalog of songs originally sung by women to mm. me, and it was because she was on stage with me that I had the courage to do that. Um, I, I, I couldn't have just come out of the gate like that. I, I, I literally come out. Um, I, I don't think it's any secret. I've never kept it a secret that I'm mm -hmm. gay, but I've never been openly gay on stage as far as content and the subject matter that I'm singing about. So for me, that's another thing that I know now and that I didn't know um, 30 years ago. And I credit Sondheim with giving me the incredibly specific language in order to express what I wanted to express authentically. It's my most personal show, and yet I only speak on stage as myself once. Mm. Um, I say I say the, the words and music are Stephen Sondheim, but the story is mine, and it takes place in New York City. And after that, every lyric out of my mouth, every word out of my mouth is his. Yeah. With a couple of little caveats. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, uh, that track the everyday a little death with with you and Katie Sullivan is is such a beautiful piece of music um and um your voices come together so well um it, it must be um it, it's more than just a, a track on the album isn't it i mean it, it it says everything about your friendship and and this professional collaboration as well doesn't it it absolutely does, and, and timing-wise, she graciously came into the studio to do this about a month after her husband passed. Mm. So there was a level of this singing about death um, that was just so very present in our lives right at that moment. Uh, and it's a moment, that duet, which was in our earlier show that Mr. Sondheim saw, um, Sandra staged it with us singing nose-to-nose -to, -nose to each other. And that's how we recorded it. We were in the studio, just, you know, Sandra's admonishment was, remember the energy 
that you do it on stage. And um, it, it, it is really, it, we reinvented that song without um, changing the arrangement at all because mm. it's sung, normally sung by two women. And just by changing the gender of one of us, it does become a very different uh, duet. The other thing I enjoyed um, a great deal, and I've been listening to it over and over again, is, is that string of super, uh, superlatives that you have uh, in Old Friends. <laughs> That's a John Weber touch. That He uh, loves the song It's a Hit, and yeah. he knows it by heart. Yeah. And he just started rattling that off and said, what if we put this in here? And I was like, That's fantastic. <laughs> so <laughs> that is a, a John Weber genius. If, if someone's going to write a review of this album, that, that should be a line in it because it it, it really it, it's just great to hear, you know, and and it's it's sometimes wordplay, and it's uh, the uh, uh, just the um, the joy in your voice again, it's just a, a wonderful uh, thing to hear on the album. I mean, it's old friends is a song that we've all heard over the years, and to have that in there uh, is just terrific. It's a very inspired touch, and I'm grateful for him for suggesting it. Yeah. Do, do you um, do you find uh, as you perform um, th- this show, as you as you will, you, you, there'll be dates in June in in New York and in, in Palm Springs and Minneapolis. But when you, when you listen to the album again, do, do the words take on? Uh, I don't know if different meaning is the right word, but do they do, do they mean something or do they they um, uh, uh, take on new meaning every time you you hear them or perform them say i think so i um the for the time being the the settings and the subtext is always the same but the words come out of me slightly different and it's one of the things i love about working with john because his um you know skill his is jazz there is a level of improv always with what he's doing and what we're doing together mm. and that's um that's really a, a living breathing thing that i love it's um so yes it is informed and also it's always informed by my theme partners who are the audience it's another thing i love about cabaret versus theater is that um, there is no fourth wall. The, the audience is there, and how people are responding definitely informs um, how, how the story gets told. So, yes, it's always a little different. At the, at the end of a show, um, how do you know if you've had a good show? I mean, how does that feel to you? <laughs> um, whose book is it called I Was Better Last Night? Uh, uh, I'm... <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, was it Harvey Firestein's? I think I, that's what it's called. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the turning off the self-critic and the self-judgment is essential. So I really just hope that um, I've been true and um, shown up and been open and honest and authentic. And I, I really. Um, it's hard to tell, you know. I mean, happily, most times when we perform this show, people stand up, which yeah. is always a good indicator. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just try and stay in the moment and uh, hope that somebody hope that they liked it. 
do you feel though some nights that you're working harder than than uh, say another night maybe? Well, and again, this is what I love about. Yes, absolutely. There are times when I'm more tired mm-hmm. or when I don't feel like the setting is as conducive um, or has challenges. Um, but what I love about working with Sandra and John is that I feel like we have a vehicle. And so I can trust the vehicle is going to get me where I need to go. Even if it's my 80%, the vehicle is, you know, it's streamlined. <laughs> the choices have been made, and I trust it. So I, I pretty much just take the journey. And, um, yeah, I, it's, I haven't done it enough to have <laughs> what you might call an off night. Mm-hmm. Um, each performance is pretty, pretty precious. We've been in Chicago and St. Louis, and we've gone to London twice with it, um, L.A. and New York. So it's, um, it, each time is, is, is pretty thrilling. Well, Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the gift of doing it? Yeah. <laughs> so many times that they're they're off nights. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What? Uh, how do you prepare for for a night's performance? Say, eh? I mean, if you're in another city, do you do the touristy stuff in in the daytime and then then go to work at night, or, or do you have to rest? How does that work for you physically, for for your body and your voice? I pretty much lay low a day of a show and. Typically, unless we're doing multiple performances in a venue, mm-hmm. you're, we're doing our sound check and tech rehearsal and then the performance. So that's a lot of energy all at once. So I'm not usually running around during the day. I may have a lunch um, with, you know, with some friends, depending on where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually with time to take a nap, I'm, I'm 62 now. <laughs> and... Um, Napping is my new favorite happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, a good nap it, it, it cures anything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, what do you like listening to? Uh, do, do, do you like listening to, to music that, that's in the genre that you perform in? I do. Um, my tastes are really eclectic and all over the place, and I'm uh, always interested at what people suggest for me to listen to. Um, I, my default, though, is listening to Broadway cast albums, mm. especially, um, I hate to say it, but early Broadway cast sure. albums. Yeah. Um, because that's really the music that always was my bliss as a child, and it's what brought me to New York, is the love of those cast albums. So, you know, that that's a, a default to me. What um, What is it like to listen to a cast album and, and sort of, realize that it makes a a good song for a show a, a cabaret show like like on the album you have the ballad of sweeney todd which i would um not think of as a song that that a cabaret performer would do but it w- listening to you do it it um just seems like a natural that i that, that um I, I can't believe it's been hasn't been done more often or even before well it has been done before leah delaria mm. is the one who got who had the, the brilliant idea to swing it um, which John and really inspired John and myself. Um, and my other inspiration for it, ironically and oddly, is Mabel Mercer, who used to just sit in a chair and speak, mostly speak her lyrics. But she's the one who did uh, It's Still Lovely, all five choruses, sitting in a chair and telling the story. 
and it was is wildly captivating to me. And when I re-listened to the Ballad of Sweeney Todd, I thought, I think this is a story that uh, people maybe not don't hear the lyric because of how it's staged. Um, maybe there's something that I can mine here um, that might come alive in a cabaret setting that's a little different than how you might hear the song in a theater setting. And it all... It all it also just gave voice to a particular kind of rage that I wanted to. Sandra is always saying, where's the anger? Where's the anger? And uh, a lot of my anger is in that song. And you mentioned Mabel Mercer. The um, uh, When you say Fleet Street, and you, you say it the way you do, um, it, it sort of reminded me of her. Because, I mean, she, she's someone who would sing the consonants in the song, right? That's fantastic. Um, hadn't thought of that, but... Uh, I know why I say Sweet Street that way, but yeah. um, hadn't thought of her. But yes, that's exactly what she was known for. Yeah. What um, you mentioned, uh, Mabel Mercer. You mentioned Steve Ross. Um, as a cabaret performer, um, I, I guess you, you really do learn from from other people who do it. Who are some of the the, the people that, that you say admire or enjoy? Well, let's start with Katie Sullivan mm. because uh, she's just an. Ex- extraordinarily remarkable person on stage and off. Um, that's one thing I will say about cabaret artists that I admire and work with is you're usually getting the real McCoy on stage and off, um, just in people who are uh, so profoundly bright and gifted and giving. Um, I'm, I'm thinking right now of Clea Blackhurst is someone who I mm, yeah. just love. Uh, Karen Mason was one of uh, the first New York, you know, uh, kind of of my of my vintage mm-hmm. that that I loved. Um, I came to New York. The first person I went to hear was Barbara Cook because mm-hmm. through my cast albums, I found uh, her as of today album where she reinvented herself as a nightclub singer and that she was singing at Reno Sweeney. Um, you know, just just took my breath away. So that, and she was also the first artist, even before Judy Garland or Liza Minnelli, who, for me, was as fulfilling as seeing a Broadway musical is to see them do a, a nightclub act or to hear one of their solo albums. Um, I then, you know, fell in love with concert Judy Garland and mm-hmm. concert Liza Minnelli and. Um, you know, uh, I'm lucky enough to come to New York when Sylvia Sims was performing, oh, Margaret yeah. Whiting was performing, and then Julie Wilson, uh, just a master class every time she she, she breathed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned a moment ago um, Mabel Mercer, and, and this is why I like listening to Mabel Mercer, um, you know, on uh, CDs and albums of hers, is that, that she really is speaking. Uh, the story or singing the story um, and all the other stuff. I mean, sitting down, uh, it doesn't matter because it's just you're listening to her and and you get that on the albums, don't you? I mean, it it would have been extraordinary to to sit in a room, you know, um, watching her, but um, that magic is, is there on those albums still, isn't it? It absolutely is. If you haven't, if any of your listeners haven't heard Mabel Mercer, just listen to both sides now. Oh yeah. If you think if you think you've heard that song before and know what it's about, wait <laughs> yeah. till you hear. I didn't understand that song 
until I heard her sing it. And, uh, you know, I have, just to, to bring this up, um, my manager created the Mabel Mercer Foundation. Mm. Um, and I'm speaking of Donald Smith and the Donald, Donald Smith, um, his legacy is this Mabel Mercer Foundation that promotes cabaret. And they have just announced that I am winning the Mabel Mercer Award uh, this October, which I am deeply, <laughs> profoundly um, humbled and and um, honored to be to be receiving. So yes, she is. Uh, Frank Sinatra said everything he knows about phrasing he learned from her, and uh, there. Yeah. That's saying quite a lot. Yeah, even even Joni Mitchell said that um, she didn't understand this. Oh, well, she, she she wrote the song, but she, <laughs> she, she, th- there was an element of the song that she didn't get until she saw Mabel Mercer do it, and then she remember she went backstage to meet her, and sh- she couldn't even introduce herself. She was so in awe, and wow. I, I don't I don't think even Mercer knew that she was the one who wrote the song. And, oh, and wow. it's just a, I, I love that story, um, Jeff. Congratulations um, on on the award. First of all, I mean that's a, that's a marvelous honor, and um, and well deserved. Um, and, but uh, again, congratulations on this album. I've so enjoyed speaking with you, and and um, yours will be an album that I'll, they'll be listening to um, over and over again because it's just a great piece of uh, music. Uh, thanks for your time today. I appreciate this. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening to the album, and thanks for um, your part here in spreading the, the word about it. I, I really appreciate it. The websites for more are at jeffharner.com and psclassics.com. The album is called I Know Things Now, My Life in Sondheim's Words. It's uh, artist Jeff Harner. Join me on the line from New York City in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta. <laughs>